when all the guys got together for some friendly competition. Most of them looked forward to the games. They were excited about it, couldn't hardly wait to match their athletic skills against the boys from the nearest town. Sometimes those games got a little rowdy, a little raucous, tempers flared, and a fight ensued. If you've ever been to a hockey game, you know sometimes they play hockey. Those who were not in the fray, they gathered around them, they egged on their favorite one in the scuffle and scrum. It was all fun and games until somebody became a little too aggressive and started to punch to hurt. Then the others grabbed a rock or a weapon to even the score, and that's when the fun and games got serious. The rivalries between these villages, especially those outside of their group, they were important to establish a pecking order. Even without an award or a trophy, they all knew who was the toughest, the strongest, who demanded the most respect. This right of competition is not much different from the way other species in the animal kingdom assert their dominance and identify the most powerful in the pack. This contest was a matter of reputation. Some groups carried the banner of having the toughest fighters and the greatest lineage of champions. Other groups were known as perpetual underdogs. Losers, the boys jeered when the underdogs showed up. What a bunch of wimps, they mocked. (laughs) Who said words don't hurt? Now whether they were joking or they said it in sarcasm or just outright intention to be mean, words cut to the quick, they leave lasting scars. The bullying never stopped. It was really nothing new. Humanity has always seen those who vie for control as they sometimes bully and intimidate others who can never measure up either in strength or agility. Some will never feel the satisfaction of success because they've always been less than the best. They'll always believe the voices they've heard confirming they were never good enough. One particular community had that reputation. Gideon grew up in it. He was a young man whose peers had labeled him weak ever since he was a kid. After all, he was from the clan with a reputation for being the weakest in all the tribe of Manasseh, and he considered himself to be the least capable in his whole family. No, not for lack of trying. He carried more than his share of work. He did his best to help with harvest, but Gideon was just never good enough in their eyes and even in his own. Gideon gathered wheat for the threshing and prepared crops for this hostile winter season that was coming. Gideon was actually as strong as most, but he was called weak, just As long as that label stuck, he wore it. Growing up with the constant taunts of being a loser affects a person's confidence and self-image. Beyond the tribal competitions, a greater force loomed beyond the valley. When the enforcers came through the village, nobody was safe. They were called the Midianites, not to be confused with the Mennonites, totally different group. This community was powerless against the Midianites' weapons and sheer dominance. They oppressed people of the region, abused anybody who got in their way, took whatever they wanted. The Midianites repeatedly ravaged Israel's crops, causing them to go hungry and starve. All too often, it was already a tough life, the Midianites made far, far tougher. We're going to learn more about that story right after this. Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word, further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. Welcome and welcome back, all you God's Word for Life listeners. I'm L.J. Harry. I'm happier than a seagull with two french fries. To be your host on this God's Word for Life companion podcast, It is the companion podcast to the lesson guide, the daily devotional guide, the leader guide, the study guide, the tour guide, you name it, the guide. We are the companion podcast to it. 
And today's episode stems from a lesson dated May 14th, 2023, which just so happens to be Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all you moms. And it is entitled Gideon and the Strength of Honesty. No surprise to you Bible scholars that this lesson stems from a scripture in the book of Judges, chapter 6, verse 15. And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh. I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord, Jehovah, said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. Times of overwhelming odds. That's what Gideon faced. And yet God delights in calling the most unlikely candidates to do his will. Moses protested, uh, I'm not, uh, I don't talk real good. Deborah could have objected, that's not going to work. There's never been a woman judge in Israel in history. Amos was just an obscure shepherd when God called him. Everybody has an excuse of why they can't, but through God's grace, God knows better than us. He knows we can. First question, have you ever found yourself in a position for which you felt unqualified? Hopefully, all of us would raise our hands and say, yeah, I've been there, and thank God, so was he. Nobody would have picked Gideon to rally the troops against the mighty Midianites. Even with Gideon in charge, nobody expected the total and complete destruction of the Midianite army. Israel would have been happy to bring in just one crop from the field and into the barns without them getting in the way. Nobody would have chosen Gideon to be a military leader and a national hero. But God saw what Gideon was and called him anyway because only God saw what Gideon could be. God saw beyond what everybody else saw, and God saw the hidden hero inside of Gideon. This went on for seven years, the Midianites' attacks. They were relentless. Every season, these thugs from Midian roamed the countryside waiting for the first signs of harvest. Then they rushed in, took what they wanted, and trampled the rest. They left nothing behind. Scorched earth policy, that was their mission. All of Israel's tribes were powerless to stop them. The Israelites hid in caves and behind rocks or behind trees to escape the Midianites' brutality. Israel had to become creative or they would die. These crops were their livelihood. If they couldn't save enough to eat, they would not survive the winter. There was never enough. They lived in survival mode all the time, but their future prospects didn't look any better than their past. Then God's people did the greatest thing they could do. They cried out to God for deliverance. And an unnamed prophet visited Israel and reminded them of their forefathers' deliverance from Egyptian bondage and their gift of the promised land. He also revealed the oppression was a result of them rejecting the covenant with God. They'd embraced the pagan gods of the land and started to worship them. So their present problems were a consequence of their disobedience to God's commandments and failure to follow Him and Him alone. Next question. Why does it seem sometimes easier to see God's hand of judgment than to recognize the abundance of His blessings? If we go back a handful of books to the book of Leviticus, and we won't stay there long because I know you may fall asleep on me. But long before Israelites occupied the promised land, God warned his people of the consequences of idolatry and the penalties for disobeying. He reminded them of the blessings they would enjoy if they just kept covenant, if they just honored the name of the Lord their God and served him alone, for he alone is worthy. The Lord promised, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, I will give you rain in due season and the land shall yield her increase. The trees of the field shall yield their fruit. And your threshing shall reach unto the vintage, and the vintage shall reach unto the sowing time. 
and you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely. Leviticus 26, verses 3 through 5. That's a great promise. Back to Judges before you doze off on me. Gideon was secretly threshing wheat in a wine press. It was a device used for crushing grapes to extract juice, but he was using it to crush the stalks of grain and separate straw from the chaff. It would have been quicker and more efficient to thresh in the open air, pitch the grain up on the wind, let the wind do the work, but that was too risky. The enemy could have been spying and rushed in, taking the grain, robbing it from those who so desperately needed it just to live. And suddenly a voice spoke and startled Gideon. He didn't expect anybody to be nearby. He hadn't seen or heard anything, so who was talking to him? Gideon saw a man sitting under a tree. The man made an unusual statement. The Lord Jehovah is with you, you mighty man of valor. Judges 6, verse 12. Gideon realized this visitor was more than just a man. He must be a messenger from the Lord. But he must have the wrong address. Gideon's no warrior. He's scared like everybody else. And Gideon responded, If the Lord Jehovah is with us, why has all this befallen us? I'm sure you've asked that question before, too. If God is with us, then... Why am I going through this? The angel of the Lord ignored Gideon's question and just continued, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? Judges 6 verse 14. There's got to be a mistake. Gideon knew he couldn't be the one to deliver Israel and defeat Midian. He continued to protest. Oh, my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? My family's poor in Manasseh. I'm the least in my father's house. He was self-aware. His self-assessment was different than God's confident calling on his life. All his life, Gideon had seen himself as inferior in strength, deficient in courage, and yet God called him a mighty man of valor. God commissioned him to act in the strength God had already put within him. The Lord promised total victory because God himself promised, I will be with you and you will smite the Midianites as one man. Gideon, you're looking at this all wrong. You're thinking you're going to do it all. You're not. I will be with you. Israel had been praying for this promise, but Gideon found it so difficult to believe he would be the man God would use to bring it to pass. He was frightened. He was fearful. He could not believe he was the right man for this very dangerous and daring job. Now, expressing doubt is not a sin. God knows our shortcomings. He knows them better than we do. He's aware of all of our inabilities but he's also aware of all of our capabilities, even if we're not. When we honestly confess our concerns to God, he will assure us of his abiding presence and his path to victory in overcoming our inhibitions and our fears. Brings us to our next question. Why is it so hard to believe God can use us to fulfill his purpose? God knows us better than we know ourselves. When we can't see our own potential, We trust the one who created us, who knows what we can accomplish. Trusting God is revealed in our honesty before him. We can confess our fears and failures, but we must also believe what God says about us. God cannot lie. So if he calls us mighty and gives us an impossible mission, we shouldn't question his wisdom or assessment of our ability. We should trust him and thank him that he counted us worthy to walk in the vocation, the calling wherewith he called us. With every objection, God reaffirmed his will that Gideon was the man to lead the nation to victory. The answer to every petition and prayer was already on the way. It became very clear what God wanted Gideon to do. 
because God had clearly communicated his call to his man. God patiently waited for Gideon to process all this new information and make these mental adjustments necessary to answer the call of God. Here's a question for you. When God promises victory for something we've prayed for, how should we respond? Gideon realized he should bring a sacrifice of worship to honor this holy moment. He asked the angel of the Lord to stay while he quickly ran to get something to offer as a sacrifice to God. The angel of the Lord agreed. Gideon returned with the meat of a young goat, broth from cooking it in loaves of unleavened bread. The angel instructed him to place the bread and the meat on a rock and pour the broth over it. Gideon obeyed. Then the angel pointed the staff toward the sacrifice, and the fire of God miraculously consumed it all. Gideon trembled in the presence of the Lord, but God reassured him and said, Peace be unto thee, fear not, you won't die. Then Gideon built an altar on that site and called it Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. God again spoke to Gideon that night and called him to offer another sacrifice after destroying idolatrous altars to the god Baal and the goddess Asherah. These were two of the idols that Israel just kept stumbling into sin over. Gideon's father Joash had built the altar and people from the village went there to worship the idol. But Gideon obeyed the Lord and destroyed those altars and idols, but for fear of the people, he destroyed them under the cover of darkness. The next morning, the people woke and found the altar of Baal in shambles, and the image of Asherah had been cut down. In their stead, they found a new, proper altar built to the Lord God. The people's response revealed their spiritual depravity. They called for Gideon to be executed rather than repent. Joash refused to approve the execution of his son, and offered some of the greatest counsel you'll find in the book of Judges. Joash said, Well, if Baal is a god, let him plead for himself, because one has cast down his altar. Basically, Joash said, Well, if Baal has a problem with it, let Baal take it up with Gideon. And Baal didn't take it up with Gideon. So Gideon was ready for his next divine assignment a plan that would require great faith from Gideon and require the people to have great faith that God was calling Gideon and that God would go with him and them. Gideon blew the trumpet and called volunteers to follow him. Messengers spread the word to the tribes of Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali, and those surrounding tribes. Gideon had a group of 32,000 men ready to fight. And yet Gideon needed more assurance that God was with him. So he prayed for the Lord to confirm his call through a test. It's what we call fleecing God. It comes from this passage. Gideon asked God to cause the dew to fall only on the fleece Gideon placed on the threshing floor ground. This would leave all the surrounding ground dry. God just put dew on the fleece and not the ground. Let's see how that works. God honored his request. In the morning, Gideon filled a whole bowl with dew as he wrung it out from the wet fleece, but the ground dry as a bone. This was undeniable. But he still struggled with his doubts. Well, maybe it was coincidence. So Gideon pled once more for God to allow one more test. The second time, Gideon asked that the fleece remain dry and the surrounding ground be wet with dew. And patiently, God led Gideon through his doubts and God's plan to lead Israel to freedom from the Midianites as Gideon woke the next morning and the ground was soaked and the fleece was dry. So far, God had already worked miraculous signs for Gideon, several. He sent fire to consume a sacrifice. He preserved Gideon's life after he destroyed the false altars. He soaked only the fleece with dew, then soaked only the grass with dew. Gideon was finally ready. Okay, okay, I get the message. 
He accepted God's call and committed to the mission God had placed before him. These undeniable supernatural signs God gave Gideon gave Gideon confidence that he would be victorious no matter what came next. He began with 32,000 warriors, but that was a small number compared to the multitude of the Midianite forces that you could not count. And yet God warned Gideon, eh, you got too many, bud. So God instructed Gideon to send home anybody who was afraid. Boy, that must have been a shock to watch 22,000 fearful soldiers pack up their gear and walk home. But he still had 10,000 men. That's a lot, but not enough not to face the Midianites, at least not on his own. But God warned Gideon, you still got too many. And Gideon started to wonder if his math teacher had taught him how to do math right. So the Lord told Gideon to take the volunteers down to the brook. Give them a test. Gideon watched as they drank water. Only 300 of them were watchful as they drank from the stream, looking around, situationally aware. God told Gideon, I can use the 300, I can't use the rest. And so Gideon sent 9,700 men home and kept 300. This was one way Gideon knew that the victory would go to God, not to Gideon. Gideon never considered going into battle with just 300 men against the mighty Midianite force. If he didn't know beyond a shadow of all doubt God was with him, he could have run home scared, and none of us would blame him. Faith in God is not blindly claiming we know everything God is doing. Truth be told, faith is often shrouded in our own fears and our own timidity, asking God for more assurances as we struggle with our honest doubts. Yet nothing is impossible with God, but sometimes we're unsure if he's going to work through us. So as God confirms his leading and his calling, we can honestly face our fears and discover new confidence as we depend solely on God. Last question. How can honesty bring about stronger faith in our relationship with our God? All right, let's wrap this up. Carter had a closely guarded secret all his life. He was careful not to let anybody know he was born with a heart defect. The cardiologist cautioned his parents that Strenuous exercise or exertion could cause a major health event. It could possibly be fatal. But Carter had a strong drive and insatiable passion to do everything everybody else wanted to do. So against his doctor's advice and parents' wishes, he insisted on working out and playing sports, even though that could jeopardize his life. Whenever Carter became short-winded or felt pain in his chest, he found a place to sit down and rest. But he always offered an excuse to cover up the real source of his weakness. It was the heat or a headache or dehydration. Never let anybody know about his heart. He always blamed himself when the team lost. And he felt the team suffered and could never win, really, because of him and his heart. One scorching Saturday in late August, he passed out on the ball field. His teammates came running to help. They saw how pale he was, and he was unresponsive. The coach called out for help. Soon paramedics arrived and rushed him to the hospital, where he spent several days in treatment, testing, and evaluation. And while he was in the ICU, his pastor came to visit with him and pray with him. The pastor learned the truth about his heart defect. The big secret was no longer a secret at all. The pastor talked to Carter about honesty and the importance of being honest about his condition. They prayed together, first for healing and then for understanding by his friends and teammates. In a few weeks, Carter returned to school and all of his friends warmly welcomed him and enthusiastically greeted him back. Man, welcome back, Carter. We missed you. 
Most of them gathered around him in the locker room, and that's where he confessed his secret. He offered to resign from the team so they could replace him with somebody stronger. Yet without exception, they refused his suggestion and resignation. They pledged to work together to keep him safe, to keep him on the team. And from that moment, the team went on to win every game that season. They found a common cause to work toward. Carter's honesty had brought about a realization of the value of teamwork. Working together, they all were winners. Honest acknowledgement of our insecurities will cause us to be more transparent with others and more dependent on God. When we confront our fears and admit our weaknesses, we're more likely to find support from our friends and the amazing strength that comes from God through prayer. For when God is with us, we have nothing to fear. The Apostle Paul said it better than anyone. Romans chapter 8, verse 31, If God be for us, and thank God he is, who can be against us? Just in case you don't know how the story ends, Gideon and his 300 went into battle, God fought for them, and defeated the mighty Midianite army with 300 men, and here's the bonus, armed with nothing more than trumpets and pitchers and lanterns. And God got the glory for that win. I'd like us to pray for God to help us hear his voice as he calls us to do whatever he's calling us to do and then to help us through our doubts to trust his call, to put all of our faith in him, not in us, but in what he wants to do through us. Lord Jesus, we love you. What a privilege to get to be called by your name and to be called to do the work you've called us to do. Help us, God, I pray, to do what you've called us to do today. Give us this day our daily bread. As we think about this story, as we meditated on it all week long, I ask you, Lord, help us to do what you're calling us to do today. And if you tarry tomorrow, to call to do what you've called us to do tomorrow and all throughout the week. God, help us through our doubts and our insecurities, all our inadequacies, all of our reasons why we can't. I ask you to give us strength and give us help to do what you've called us to do, and we will give you praise and all the glory for every win. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much, God's Word for Life listeners. I love to have you on the show and having the chance to be able to walk through God's Word for Life with you. Be sure to subscribe, share, like, follow. Let all your friends know about God's Word for Life so you can continue to grow. And if you're looking for an apostolic church who shares this wonderful faith and truth, visit upci.org and you can find a church near you that preaches and teaches this glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're looking for some great God's Word for Life resources, maybe you need a lesson guide or student guide, or you're looking to start teaching God's Word for Life, you can find all that at PentecostalPublishing.com. And if you use promo code GWFL10, the number 10, you'll get 10% off your entire order. Next week, we continue. In fact, we're just about finished with our series, God, Our Judge and King, looking at the book of Judges right now. And next week's episode is entitled Samson's Cry. It's all about the story of Samson. Started off pretty well. Didn't end up so great. But God had some pretty shining moments in Samson's life in between. Looking forward to sharing that story with you. And always look forward to learning and living out God's Word for Life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, where together we explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. If you haven't yet, make sure to subscribe to this podcast. And if you are looking for other Bible study tools and resources to encourage you in your walk with God, 
visit us today at pentecostalpublishing.com.